It was early in England. The leeches were yet to suck on their first freshwater swimmers. Principessa had swallowed her blue backed bowl hole, hastily exiting to spread her wings, and Norman, unaware of the conquest to be carried out on this very day, had accidentally loaded his toothbrush with wart cream, causing his gums to pull up their skirts like a brood of fifties housewives encountering a carpet mouse sniffing at their exceedingly unglass-like slippers. Overly baked already, he returned to bed to await the judgment of daylight. On the other side of the thin partition, thinly disguised itself as a wall, Suzette lay on her back, still clenching her mind around the deflating hope of sleep. The tiredness pinned her to the futon, but the fear of rolling onto her slide kept it from its goal. A not uncommon recollection visited her in these hazy hours. Detached from the dispersing deck of a Boeing 747 that had moments before been reverse engineered by the scrutinizing eye of a bellicose bomb, on autopilot she reached for the oxygen mask that, if dangling at all, was somewhere high above her in the flaming confusion yet to find its fill. The inflatable life jacket was equally amiss, though this was perhaps of less use when falling seat first towards a deeply snow-abused mountain. The safety information spun through her head as she spun through the air, still buckled in. That part at least she had managed to get right. But no assurances had been given about this eventuality even fewer for what would eventually happen. Her fall was broken by a giant reproduction of a corkscrew by Etere Sotsas. It wouldn't be the last time that she claimed such an implement had saved her life. Rendered in powder by a certain Ludovico Venicenti, a snow sculpture with a nefarious national agenda, who was at that time sculpting an oversized display of Italian design classics on the mountainous border between Italy and France. Three of her fellow falling co-passengers were likewise saved by his artistry, landing comfortably on a swollen snowdrift white Geo Ponti armchair, allowing him to henceforth declare that Italian art could indeed save lives, though unfortunately the Fiat Cinquecento didn't fare so well on impact. Physically.
physically damaged by the fall, something had nonetheless been knocked off its perch. The doctors diagnosed it as an inner ear disturbance, which didn't really account for the other disturbances that it ushered in. When sleeping on her side, her dreams now unerringly led her into the naughtily lurid world of a certain soap opera she had grown up watching. In this nocturnal revisitation, the extremely adult nature of the adult's doings was seedily sown, warts and all. Neighborly love pushed beyond the normal bounds. Keys in the potpourri. Unsavory games of wrinkle in the mist. The show that had been in a major way responsible for calibrating her moral compass was now a vexation of magnets driving the arrow to pendulum uncontrollably as purloined loins purged her psyche of any claim to shame. To save her from this, she had to rely upon the thin channel of sleep offered to her by her back. But the pressure soon mounted here too, and she was met by an audio apparition that started off sounding like two marbles clinking together and steadily increased until it sounded like she had buried her head in a pachinko parlour, or even worse, had her skull converted into one. next door she could hear the gasps and bumbles of her colleague Anabu. Disposed to nervousness the way a donkey is disposed to braying, he was famed for his sensitivity and suffered every fool who cared to dally in his presence, infecting them in turn with short bouts of anxiety by proxy. A falling feather, a raindrop driven, a crawling car, a neighborly knock given, all were guaranteed to stroke the jelly in his nerves and send him off pivot. When the dead meet, they usually talk of life, but what the night knows the day refuses to say. Jeb and Vasti, 
The two house ghosts charged with the dauntless task of spooking the aforementioned Anubu had initially considered their lot to be a long one, well earned after countless unspookable specimens had lowered their peer rating way below an acceptable standard. But like one of those unfortunate individuals who, after a lifetime dreaming of riches, suddenly wins the jackpot, only to find an empty shelf where meaning was meant to be stocked, thoughts of the end were close at hand. The bedside ghosts who were taken to tiptoeing about to afford the poor unsettled soul at least an hour's rest were brooding in the kitchen. Vasti, uncommonly candid for a spirit of his caliber, lay out the schemer of his complaints, arguing a compelling case for Suiortus. For the dead cannot commit suicide, but in effect, by willing themselves back into the non-being of pre-birth, they achieve the same end, and this was Vasti's expressed aim. The senselessness of their current operation had weakened him. The skittish silhouette was causing the very shade sent to shadow him to take fright. I think about all we've done, all we've achieved. What good are words when there are no ears to hear them? Life is so tacky these days. We'll never live the same quality of life we've lived. Memories are so disposable, like everything else. But we'll know no different. You'll be a vacant lot with fresh meat secretions to accumulate in. They don't always evolve into this divergence called spirit, you know. Not everyone lands the same severance package as us. Soul is something earned, not given. What if you don't make the grade? Oblivion is preferable to this slender ebb. Go ahead then, but it's not for me. I'm an only soul, too old to be filled in you. The discussions went on for an age that, by folding the expanse neatly and with precision, could quite happily fit into the flutter of a human heartbeat. Safe passage, Fasty. I'll come and haunt you if I can. Wishful thinking, Jeb. It's a lovely thought, though. Thank you. And with that, Fasty turned to face the mirror. For everyone knows that mirrors are the places where souls go to die and uttered the astoundingly simple words, We are shivering wash, our as a yeast me, then disappeared from unseen sight, soundless, lightless, joyless, 
the slate wiped clean. Hanabu woke with a terrible sharp breath, quivering with night frights. He reached out his shaking hand and turned on the lamp, but even the click of the switch scared him half to death. Peeping from underneath the cover, he surveyed his room, but there wasn't a soul in sight. Jeb, annoyed by the rude interruption to his morning, let out a sharp This was immediately obeyed.